0: To Luke chapter 12 as we continue our study um, in this gospel. It is the longest of gospels. And it's kind of interesting because Luke actually, when you when you look at verse by verse, Luke wrote the majority of the New Testament. I know we th- we think Paul. Paul wrote the majority of books, but I think for words, I think Luke ends up writing the majority of, uh, of the New Testament, which is kind of interesting because you remember, what else did Luke write? Acts. I know that's a simple question for, for us, but we should all know it. So as we uh, get ready to continue into this, this study, let me remind ourselves why Luke wrote and why that's important for us and why that's going to affect how we understand this particular passage of text that we'll be covering today, that that Luke wrote his gospel to a man by the name of Theophilus, and he wrote the gospel so that Theophilus would have certainty about the things which he had heard. So certainty is a big issue because every once in a while, I don't know about you, but once in a while we can begin to question whether or not um, what we believe... (laughs) Can we stand on it? Are we willing to live for it? Because really, every voice in our culture, every voice in our society is telling us to abandon God's word and live for something else. There are other principles and other isms on which we can ground our life. And really, do you believe that a Jewish rabbi That his death could actually atone for your sins. It's just an old book. It was written a long time ago. And so Luke realizes that this man, Theophilus, may be struggling with some of these questions. After all, in Luke's, in Luke's day, a person nailed to a cross was not one that was admired. Not one that you read about, not one that you um, followed, not one that you loved, not one that you sang hymns to, not one that you prayed to. It was one that you despised, you turned your back upon. That was the culture of his day. And he's saying, Luke is saying, no, you can trust in the crucified Messiah as Lord of all, because not only was he crucified, but he is risen and ascended into heaven and coming again. And so Luke is writing this book to make certain that Theophilus is certain and also by extension that you and I would have certainty that the things that we hold to are absolutely and utterly true. So where we've been, just let me provide a little bit bit of context of where we've been. Really ever since Luke chapter 9, after Peter's great confession, we've been looking at... Jesus has been preparing his disciples for the time when he would go away. He would not be with them any longer because he has now set his face to Jerusalem. He is focused on Calvary. The cross is in front of him and he knows that he's going to go away. And so he is now training his disciples how to live in Jerusalem. His absence. And so in that context then. He has, we've just looked at how is the disciple to live in relationship with his possessions. His material possessions. Um, and it is one of trust in God. And one in living in anticipation of his return. So I suppose we travel light. That's been where we've been going. Here's where we, I hope to go today. That with hostility increasing the disciples now are to prepare for life in Jesus' absence and understand that Jesus is not simply another means of of salvation, but rather He is the only means of salvation and that Jesus is going to demand from them and and is demanding of them an exclusive commitment that To follow me means to abandon everyone else. Jesus is calling for an exclusive commitment to him. So let's go ahead and let's look at God's word. Let's read through our text today and see where it might go. And so I'll begin with Luke chapter 12, verse 49. This is God's holy word. I came to cast fire on the earth. And would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with. And how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For. From now on, in one house, there will be five divided, three against two, and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, and son against father, and mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say there will be a scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? And why, do, and why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer and the officer puts you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Our gracious God, we come before you this day and I pray that uh, we thank you, Lord God, that you have revealed your, yourself to mankind, Lord God. Without your revelation, we would never, ever know you. And that you inspired men of God by your Holy Spirit to write your word and to, to um, write it so that it may, it may be read and we may understand it. And we praise you, Lord God, for the illumination of your Holy Spirit, that we might understand what your, through the Holy Spirit, what your Holy Spirit has, revealed, has inspired and in what you have revealed. So now, Lord God, help us to understand your word, that you would be honored, that you would be glorified, that you would be seen as magnificent, Lord God. Not necessarily that we attain knowledge, but only a knowledge that um, results in our loving you more and more. We ask this in the name of Christ, our Lord. Amen. So, our text this morning begins with, really, with two purpose clauses. And I'll get to the second one in a bit. But the first one is, I came to cast fire on the earth. Which is really kind of a challenging passage of text. I came. Why did Jesus come? There are a lot of reasons Jesus says, I came, and in, He has come. And in fact, the very, I think the very central theme of the book of Luke is that Jesus says, I came to seek and to save the lost. That is another purpose that we'll look at Down the road, we still have quite a ways before we get to that passage of text. But here Jesus says, my purpose is that I came to bring fire on the earth. And oh, how that it were already kindled. Well, that's a pretty interesting passage of text. So what does Jesus mean? First, I guess that's going to be one of our questions. What does Jesus mean? What is this image of fire? Well, throughout scripture, Fire has a lot of different usages, and we could see that fire would refer to judgment that 's absolutely a, a particular use of fire in Scripture. We also see in luke chapter three three sixteen that that fire is somehow related to the arrival of the Holy Spirit. for John says that the one coming Jesus would baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. We also see in Jeremiah that God's word is called fire. It says, I will put my word in you and it will be fire in your mouth and it will consume the hearers. So what we need to do is how there are probably many other ways that the Bible refers to fire. But I think the immediate context, as well as the the more remote context, would have that Jesus is speaking of judgment. We'll especially see that as we get into the text today and next week that the context would then would suggest that the fire here is judgment. And by the way, division is going to be the result. But here's the thing about fire. Fire is not neutral. When we see forests burn, certainly we see the destruction and the devastation. But land managers and many would tell us that fire actually does some good as well. In fact, there are some um, species of, of trees and, and plants that actually need the fire to release their seeds to, to uh, further their growth. And so we do see that fire is not neutral. It consumes homes and it, it actually people die because of fire and it also at the same time brings life. But whatever we think about fire, we understand fire is not neutral. And the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ is not neutral. Malachi, I think, does a really, I I think, gets to the heart of this. And in Malachi chapter 3, this is what the prophet writes. He says, behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come into his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. This is speaking forward of the Messiah who would come. And then it says this: But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? When a Messiah appears, what are you going to do? Who can stand? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment, and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker and his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner. And do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Did you get that? When Messiah comes, he will be like fire, and he will purify my people, and he will consume those who reject him. I think this is uh, where Jesus is going with this. But regardless of where uh, this... The arrival of Jesus in the flesh is not neutral. The coming of the Lord's disciple purifies one group and consumes another. Christ comes and informs that my appearing is not neutral. The judgment then that divides appears by Jesus' word to not yet have come. He says, I wish... Or, I oh, that it were already kindled. I wish this fire were already kindled. This, this judgment that divides, that purifies and consumes um, is still something to, to come. And just as his incarnation brought the fall and the rise of many, I believe his second coming will bring the judgment and the vindication with reward. This is, as I believe, as he comes again, he will judge in righteousness and purify his people. There will be sheep and goats. It's interesting. Oh, that it were already kindled. He seems to long for this. And then he goes on and he says, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. The means by which Jesus cast fire on the earth is the cross. For here, baptism is referring to the cross. And I would simply refer you over to Mark chapter 10, verses 38 and 39, as the reference where I would get that, um, that understanding. So in Mark chapter 10, um, there's also a cross reference in Matthew 20, verses 22 and 23. I'll just read the Mark passage. Um, 10, 38 and 39. And Jesus, <coughs> I'll, I'll go up. And he said to them, actually to James and John, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in glory. And Jesus said to them, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism, which I am baptized? And they said, we are able. And Jesus said, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism, with I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left, that is not mine to grant. It is for those to whom it has been prepared. Jesus, I believe, is talking and looking forward to, to the cross where he will be inundated, flooded over with the wrath of God against sin. Baptism in Greek literature is, also, is often referenced as being inundated with catastrophe. And at the cross, Jesus was immersed under the wrath of God against sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might be the righteousness of God. Do you get that? Jesus on the cross bore God's wrath for sin, that you and I would not be counted as sinners, but counted as righteous. I have a baptism to undergo. And I'm distressed until it's accomplished. I came to cast fire on the earth. And it's going to purify and it's going to consume. And the means by which that fire is going to come is the cross where I will undergo God's full wrath against sin I will bear it on your behalf. Jesus has set his face towards Jerusalem. He longs for God's eternal plan to be complete. He longs that sinful man will once again walk in unbroken fellowship with God the Father in that interesting, I long. I'm distressed until it happens. But it's going to happen. He's looking forward to the consummation of God's plan of bringing sinners back into relationship with His Heavenly Father. And at the cross, God is glorified by bringing salvation to sinners through the judgment of Jesus Christ. I want you to understand that at the cross, God is glorified by bringing salvation to folks like you and me through the judgment that was poured out upon Jesus Christ. Jesus is judged. Rebels who confess Christ are counted As righteous. And then Jesus says this very, very odd statement. And here's our second purpose clause. Do you think that I've come to give peace on the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. That's an amazing statement, don't you think? I've come to bring division. And it's a little confusing, if you ask me. Just my own personal opinion. Because Jesus is identified with priests. Remember when he was born? What did the angels say? Peace on earth, goodwill to men. Now Jesus says, I did not come to bring peace, but division. And um, he often brought peace to people he encountered. And he is known as the Prince of Peace. So, how do we reconcile that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, the one to whom he, angels said, peace, uh, peace on earth and goodwill to men? How do we reconcile that with Jesus' words saying, I did not come, do not think that I came to bring peace, but I came to bring division? I want you to understand that an encounter with Christ necessarily produces a crisis. That is, you will either stand with him or you will stand against him. Jesus does not permit neutrality. You will stand with him or you will stand against him. When the gospel comes and you hear the gospel and you believe the gospel and you are repenting of your sin, I want you to understand that there is no neutrality there. You are now standing with him or you are standing against him. If you hear the gospel and you reject the gospel of Jesus Christ, you are standing against him. You are not halfway in the gospel and halfway out of the gospel. There are no... transient kingdom citizens. That is, uh, no dual citizenship, I should say, in the kingdom of God. You are a citizen of the kingdom of God or you are not a citizen of the kingdom of God. And so, an encounter with Christ necessarily produces this crisis. That people... Will be divided. And so the peace of God extends to those who receive his message of forgiveness in Christ alone, and those who reject his offer remain his enemies. He is not saying that I just come and divide people, but when you side with me, you have to realize that there is an opposing enemy who will seek to destroy those who side with me. And it's getting ready to happen in the book. Romans chapter 8. Verse 7, you need to understand this, this principle of non-neutrality. Romans 8, chapter 7, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 8, verse 7, tells us that the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Ephesians Chapter two verses one through three, I read these earlier. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also once lived, and our flesh and of our in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. God Christ comes and extends the offer of the gospel, the good news that there is forgiveness by God through him, and to accept that offer, you will have peace with God, and Christ is Lord. To reject the offer will necessarily mean enmity with God. And let's face it the offer of Jesus Christ divides people even at the most intimate level that is the family level. How many of you have family members that think you're just a total nut job and say I don't I don't want to hear what you have to say. I do not want to hear the Jesus talk. Please don't tell me about the Bible. And when you show up with coworkers and you talk to them about anything remotely related to the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is hostility. So we see that because men love their sin. Men love darkness. Light has come into the world, but men have loved the darkness. And we will do whatever we can to snuff out the light. And this is what Jesus is referring to. You need to understand that when you follow me, there is a whole group, a, a whole other side of things, and that is there are those who have rejected me and are hostile, not only to me, but everyone who aligns themselves with me, and they may be in your own family. You see, when sinful hearts are exposed by the gospel, there is either repentance or there is rebellion. and Jesus is recognizing this inevitability. You present the gospel, and you either receive it The Holy Spirit convicts you and you call upon the name of the Lord and you are saved or you reject it. Jesus is recognizing this inevitability. And so his first statement in this is that I've come to cast fire on the earth. It's going to consume or it's going to purify. I want you to understand that an encounter with the risen Lord is going to produce some sort of crisis and you are either against him or for him. And if you've never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, hang on a second because it, you'll, you'll hear it and you will have that opportunity to, to respond. And I pray that the Holy Spirit convicts your heart and this is the day that you would call upon the name of the Lord and be saved and you would stop walking in rebellion. And if you are a believer today, you have assurance. I'm not here to cast doubt on you. or to make you think, I wonder if I'm really saying, I'm here to say that your assurance is in this Jesus Christ who died and rose for you. You have solid assurance. Theophilus, you can be certain about this thing. Church on Randall Place, you can be certain about these truths. If you are here today and you are not believing, you can also be certain about these truths. These are inevitable. Then Jesus goes on and he talks about reading the signs or um, he, he begins to address the crowds. And uh, he says, how is it that you can discern the weather, but not the times? And the Messiah is now in your midst and you don't recognize him. You know, we make decisions based on the weather, don't we? Uh, here's my today's weather report. This is always on my computer screen. Weather underground. It's just a tab that always exists because I look at it every day. And I'm kind of looking forward to next Sunday. Man, we need rain really bad. That's like a quarter inch of rain. Have you been out in the forest? I mean, we need rain desperately. Right now, I'm probably not planning a bike ride. I'm planning my week, Right? Probably not planning a bike ride or a hike on Sunday. But we, we look at weather and we make plans, don't we? We say, well, this will be a good day to, to wear shorts and sandals or this is the day I need to get my winter clothes out and get that jacket going. We make plans. I'm going to go and do such and such on such and such a day and it looks like we're going to have nice weather. Um, I, I didn't get the wind speed down there. But I look at the wind because is this the day I'm going to ride my road bike or my mountain bike? If it's windy, I'm riding my mountain bike. I hate riding my road bike in the wind. I'll go uphill forever. Just don't give me any wind. So I look at the wind and I plan actually if I'm going to ride my bike, what bike am I going to ride? Or far too often I just say, oh, it looks like there's going to be wind. I'll just stay home and not do anything. (laughs) That's the reality of it. How is it that you can discern weather, but not the times? You read the weather. A cloud comes in from the the west, and you plant, and you say it's going to rain. A wind from the south, and you say it's going to be heat. Do you understand what Jesus is saying? A cloud comes in from the west. What's west of Israel? The Mediterranean Sea. Cloud comes in. What does that indicate to you? Moisture. A south wind blows. You say it's going to be hot. What's south of Israel? desert. South wind comes, it's going to be hot. You hypocrites. You know how to read the weather. And you plan accordingly and the Son of God is standing in your midst and you don't know what time it is? Are you joking me? You hear the weather report, you plan your day. When you hear the Son of God has come bringing salvation to all who believe should you also not act accordingly and embrace Him. And folks, Jesus in our text and in our in our lives has provided more than enough evidence regarding who he is. Do you trust the weatherman more than you trust the, the, the veracity of the words of Jesus Christ? I look at Weather Underground and I semi-trust it. Will I put more trust in the weatherman or will I trust in the words of Jesus Christ? It is to our shame that we trust anything other than the words of Jesus Christ more than him. So he calls them hypocrites. You you know the times. You know the weather. And here, the Son of God, the Messiah, the one who was promised in Genesis 3.15, that one is standing in your midst and you're missing it. And then he tells this, parable, this illustration um, about settling your accounts with your accuser. Why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer and the officer put you into prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. This is actually a very simple illustration. The bottom line, make peace with God before it's too late. And Jesus uses an illustration from daily life to make this point. And it's just a basic court case illustration. But here's the thing that that is assumed. It is assumed that that your accuser has that there is so much evidence against you that when it goes to the court, it is certainty that you will lose. All right? So this isn't one of those, well, you know, he said, she said, 50%, you know, we can cast uh, a reasonable doubt on the jury or anything like that. This is, there is so much evidence against you that if you go before the judge, you will certainly lose. So what do you do? So... I was speeding one day. Well, I, 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 don't, I don't break that law. So if I had been speeding one day and pulled over on my bicycle, that I would You'd know about that. I'd, I'd, I'd talk about that. I'd frame that ticket. the officer says you were I coming back from the says you were going 75 in a 55 I'm like oh man I didn't know I was going that fast then he asked me he says, so where are you coming from and I said well I'm, <coughs> I'm on the grand jury as a matter of fact I'm, I'm the foreman on the grand jury oh that's interesting what do you do for a living I'm a pastor. Can we just get along with this thing? And he just cracked up. (laughs) He said, now we can go to court. Or you can pay the $50 fine. The evidence was stacked up against me. I was going to lose. Guess what I did? I settled the account. Got online, paid the $50 fee. I was not going to court because I was going to lose. What do you do when you know you're going to lose a case? You settle, and you settle quickly. This is Jesus' illustration. There's a court case. Your accuser has a solid case against you. And if it goes to the judge, you will lose. The judge is God the Father. Your adversaries, um, the adversaries are Jesus and those who reject him. So, if you're here today and you have rejected Christ and you've heard the gospel, here's the thing. There is... The evidence is against you and you will lose. So settle the account. Settle the matter now. Otherwise, you will have to pay every last cent. And here's the thing. It is an infinite crime and you don't have enough money. You do not have enough resources and you do not have enough goodness in your account by which to pay the the judgment against you. So I would advise you and exhort you and implore you settle the account now before God because there is none righteous no not even one there is none who does good all of their deeds are vile everything that they have done they have rebelled against me all the day long have you at any time ever acted in the selfish manner in a way that did not love your neighbor. You acted in a way that loved yourself. And if you break one area of the law, you're guilty of all areas of the law. Have, have you ever taken something that wasn't yours, stolen something, and you're, you're we're not supposed to steal Have you ever desired something that didn't belong to you? We're not to, to covet. Those are the types of things... Um, have we ever despised another person in our hearts? And if so, and I assume somewhere along the way, that is so for every single person who is hearing this, whether it be in this room or on the tape uh, that will be on, on, um, uploaded this afternoon or probably tomorrow. Everybody will st- has something that they have done and violated God's holy command. And there therefore is enough evidence by which the judge will condemn you. So what is the answer? The answer is to settle the account. Well, how do I do that? The answer is that there is, (coughs) that Jesus Christ has come to seek and to save the lost. And he has come to save sinners such as you and I. And he will do this. God's wrath is against sinners, such as all who have not repented. And his wrath will be poured out eternally upon those who reject him. Now, that's the bad news. Here's the good news: Jesus went to the cross at Calvary, and God's wrath was poured out upon him. All of the wrath due your sin was poured out upon Jesus Christ at Calvary. Here's you're going, well, that's pretty good news. It is good news. That's why it's called the gospel gospel is good news but let me tell you it gets even better you're going really it gets better Jesus will take the penalty of my sin and my judgment that I will have to pay for eternity and Jesus will take it yes that's the good news that's the gospel let me give you even more good news not only now is your sin forgiven that is it has been imputed to Christ is the great thing his righteousness that is his goodness his right standing before our holy god that is now credited to your account you are not the, no longer the sinner but you are now the righteousness of god not only is your sin forgiven but you are made put placed in right standing with god folks settle the account what are you waiting for why would, we, why would we wait for a moment's notice? I mean, I asked myself, there was many years that went along that people shared this with me and I thought it foolish, but one day... One day I heard the gospel and I said, that is it. And I am compelled to fall upon my knees and call upon the name of the Lord. I didn't understand all of this stuff that I just explained. I just knew that I was guilty before a holy God and something had to be done. And I heard that Jesus Christ would do it. And so I said, well, here I am. I don't know much theology. But that's good news. And that I'm doing. Whatever that means. And I don't know the path I'm going to take afterwards. It seems like it might be interesting, but here we go. And it divided people. The friends that I had were slow, some quickly faded, some slowly faded. But but not just simply because they rejected my relationship with Christ, but I didn't love the things that they loved anymore. We just didn't have much in common. Not that I never fell or stumbled or anything like that. I just didn't love the things they loved, and they didn't love the things I loved. We were divided not simply because of the uh, because they they hated what I I stood for. Some of them respected it, but we just had different passions. Different paths. So Christ is calling us today to settle the account. Make it good. We have that opportunity. So Jesus is our... um, So there is a good case against us. And if it goes to trial, we lose. So settle it before we go to the judge. Jesus will be your advocate or your adversary. That is, there is no neutrality. So call to him as advocate and you will with God Jesus will grant you forgiveness so what do you say well what do I need to do well the first thing is we need to repent and repent is to go the other direction So you're going one way, and it is a way that it does not honor or please or glorify God. And so now what we're going to do is say, you know what, that's the wrong direction. God, I'm going in the wrong direction. I need to turn around, but I don't know how or do it. Turn me around, Lord God, and he will turn you around and cause you to walk on the path that leads to him and glorifies him. He will fill you with his Holy Spirit. So actually your passions, your desires actually change. That's an amazing thing. And you become a Christian, all of a sudden, I don't love the things I, I used to love. Um, some of them immediately, those, uh, and some of them over time. I began to walk with the Lord, and, and some of those things that I loved began to fade away. The Spirit began convicting me and growing me and showing me. I began to live in light of glorifying Christ. You can say, well, I think that being a Christian might be boring. Well, maybe it is. I don't know. I'm not bored. But whether it is or isn't, isn't the point. There's a holy God that we have offended. And we need to call upon him and live our lives for him. And peace with God will be more joyous, more pleasurable, more satisfying than anything else you can imagine. I know that seems strange when you're on the other side of the cross, but... A life with Christ is more satisfying than anything you are presently doing. So I'll conclude with this. First of all, the work of Jesus demands that we take sides, either we're for him or against him. There is no neutrality in, in the kingdom. There is no dual citizenship. The evidence is clear and it is abundant. Read the signs. Jesus Christ came into this world, lived a perfect, sinless life, went to Calvary, was crucified on Calvary for our sins, was placed in in a grave, a tomb, and three days later, he wasn't there. He was gone, and after that, he ascended into heaven in the sight of many witnesses, and he is coming again. The evidence is clear. Read the signs. then finally, settle the matter before it's too late. And I'll tell you this, now's the acceptable time. So would you stand um, and let's spend just a few moments in qu-